Hey there, entrepreneurs, and welcome to today's episode. We are on episode number 96. And if you're just tuning in, we're on the road to episode 100 and our one year anniversary at the end of this month. And I swear I didn't even plan that. It just happened to you know, show up that way. So thank you universe or whoever the heck was planning that for me. And we are so excited over here. I have tons of great content coming your way on social media. So be sure to be following me on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, all of the places because you won't want to miss it. But for right now, I'm jumping in with the incredible Doug Cartwright. Let's go. Ever found yourself teetering on the edge of throwing in the towel? You know, asking yourself questions like, is this supposed to be this hard? Or is it even possible to succeed at this entrepreneur thing? <sighs> I completely get it because I built my successful businesses while juggling major health issues for my children and myself, debt piling up to my eyeballs, and so much more. Want to know how the hell I succeeded and how you can too? Tune in to find out. Here we go. They Hey there, entrepreneurs, and welcome to today's show. I'm so excited for this conversation. I was on this lovely gentleman's podcast a couple of weeks ago, and we had such a wonderful conversation that I'm looking forward to this one as well. So I am joined by Doug Cartwright, who is a speaker, author, and the CEO and founder of The Daily Shifts, which is an online company dedicated to inspiring lasting transformation, folks, lasting transformation of the mind, body, and the soul. He also... I'm just going to give you an early plug right now. Doug has a book coming out on August 10th, which is called, I love it, Holy Shit, We're Alive, because we are, Doug, right? Can you believe it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. So thank you so much for being here with me. I appreciate your time. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here, Michelle. It's great to see you again. Yeah. So let's just jump in because you have a hell of a story where you went from a millionaire to rock bottom, spiritual awakenings, all sorts of stuff. So I feel like I should just yield the floor to you, my dear, and you can tell us your story. Yeah. So it's kind of been an interesting journey. I think, you know, as I look back, I'm, I'm still young, I'm only 32 years old. And I know that like, there's going to be so many more crazy, insane uh, experiences I have in my life. But looking back at this point, you know, I've dealt with a lot of in a sense, trauma where, you know, I grew up as the fat kid. And so I never thought I was lovable. And I also then, then my dad passed away. And then I saw a lot of early success in my business career and they kind of squandered this money. And then I, you know, left a, the religion, I grew up Mormon. And so I was very prominent in the Mormon faith and then had a transition out of religion. And then I got into the psychedelic medicine space, which was way out of left field for me at the time yeah. and dealt with all of this trauma. And then, you know, I've kind of landed. And as I look back today on all of these like intense moments of my life, if I could sum it up, it was really that I was seeking something outside of myself, mm -hmm. a person, a place, a thing that life needed to, go a certain way in order for me to be happy. And I think a lot of people can relate to that because most of us expect 
that the reason we're unhappy, the reason we're unfulfilled, the reason we're anxious or depressed is because life isn't happening the way we thought it was going to happen. Yes. Yes. That's the crux of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, preach, <laughs> preach, just keep going because I was, I was literally just having this exact same type of conversation with somebody earlier around like the external validation versus internal validation and what people are seeking. So continue my friend, because it's a very good yeah. topic. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think everyone can relate to that. You know, one, in, in one facet or another, everyone has had something where they expected it to go another way. It didn't go the way they hoped it for, planned it for. And it caused this distressful moment in their life. Right. And we're trying to rush around and fix it and quote unquote, fix it in a specific way so we can be okay. Right. And so that's kind of like, you know, if I could simplify it in the most simple form, I think that's what it is. And for me, you know, early growing up, you know, dealing with, and I didn't think it was trauma, but like dealing with the fat kid trauma, I was overweight as a kid and, and because of that, especially since it's a physical piece, you know, when I would meet someone, it's like, okay, I know that I'm something's quote unquote wrong with me. And you right. know it too, because you can see it. Right. It's on the outside. It's different yeah. than the stuff that we're all hiding, right? From the mental illness perspective or any of that stuff. It's a little different when it's on the outside, right? Right. So it was on the outside. And so it was immediate this like, okay, I have to overcompensate and, and prove to you my value in the world because my, your first impression of me is I'm playing from behind. Right. So that caused, you know, in junior high, you know, mm-hmm. that caused the initial uh, belief system that I have to overcompensate. Right. 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 There you go. So now I have to be the funny kid or I have to be really, really nice. or I have to somehow provide value whether it's being popular or cool. So I feel accepted in the world. And that's really the foundation of all of my major, all of our trauma. It started right. you know, in those early years. And I think, especially for listeners, and it, whether you were the fat kid or not, some people are like, oh, I was too skinny or I was too tall or my yeah. teeth were too, had a gap in my teeth. Or, you know, it's usually in those formative years between you know, late elementary school, early junior high, where there's this story Mm-hmm. we have that we create about ourselves in the world and then we then we rush around trying to to fix it for the rest of our lives yeah yeah I mean and it's it's just always interesting the fact that we all feel like there needs to be some qualifier before we think that we're enough right and whether that's put upon us from the many media outlets or wherever it comes from from family from friends whatever that is you know I know, I know a lot of people right now in this phase, and I mean, I'm, I'm in my forties and I'm glad that you've had this awakening earlier. Cause I wish I had that. They're all kind of saying, you know, trying to tell themselves I'm enough from the minute my eyes open in the morning and it doesn't need a validation. It's just, it just is, you are enough period without everything else. Right. Yeah. And I want to just make a note of that. Like that's a, that place to get to, it's extremely difficult and it yes. requires a lot of work. Yes. That subconsciously, a lot of us have this, I call it happy when syndrome, where it's like yeah. Happy, yeah. happy when, just like as soon as my ship comes in, as soon as I get healthy, or as soon as I find a partner, or as soon as I get the promotion, or as soon as we move to the bigger house, or as soon as you know, I get out of that, then everything will be okay. Yeah. Nope. Right? Nope. Doesn't it doesn't work that way. Yeah. No, it's a journey, not a destination, right? I mean, it's just this ongoing, I, I mean, I want to have to call it a battle right? Because there's so many different messages that come at you and that are within your limiting belief programming from such a young age that come back and kind of bite us. Um, 
you know, that we have to reprogram. So, I mean, how did you go about undoing some of that stuff and that, that limiting belief self-talk? Yeah. So it was really, it's fascinating because it sounds absolutely insane, but there was this moment in my life. I was 27 at the time. And I, you know, in my early twenties, like 20, 20, by the time I was 24, I'd made a million bucks um, working in my company in direct sales and leading and managing and recruiting. And I was kind of like this young all-star. I remember, Mm. I'll never forget. I had this really cool moment. I had my mentor who was high up in the company, um, pulled me aside and he's like, Hey, he's like, you're basically the LeBron James of our company. Like he's a young kid. <laughs> yeah. Like, Came out of nowhere. Yep. And doing amazing. Like you're once in a generational talent, you know? And so I was the man in my early twenties. I thought I was the man, right. I right. Great money and being single, making that type of money. I didn't own a house. I was like traveling all over the world, sitting first class. I'm a big sports guy. So I was going every major sporting event. I've been to front row. So World Series, Super Bowls, NBA Finals, and I'm living kind of this lavish lifestyle, trying to fill a void, right? Right. I can travel, pick up, you know, a hot date and a hundred thousand dollar Mercedes, like, you know, then things will be okay. Mm -hmm. I feel those those are cool for a little bit. Like it's it's nice to have like a fun experience, and and that's the tricky thing with this um, internal validation piece we're all seeking for is that external validation works. Exactly. Yeah. For a short time. Exactly. You get the hit. It's like getting, it's like getting a drug. It's like you can get a hit and it works and you feel really, really good for a short time. Right. Right. And then seeking, getting bigger, you know, bigger car, nicer experience, cooler apartment, you know, what else? So you kind of chase this thing. And so yeah, basically where I had my, my quarter life crisis moment was when I was 20, I was 27 and I was extremely unfulfilled and the advice I was getting from my mentors at the time was like, go make more money. And I was like, something doesn't feel right. I'm doing really good. Like I've got what I wanted. And I'm like, I don't think my more money was the answer. And at the same time, I was kind of going through this existential crisis too, with leaving Mormonism. Yeah. Where like, the church, and I've got nothing bad to say about the church and, and I don't have any qualms with it, but there, it wasn't hitting, it wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't, you know, I didn't feel a connection to anything bigger than me. So I was kind of in this moment when I was 27, uh, life was good on paper. I, I've, I've coined this term, the success void, yep. where if I were to give you a resume of my life at that point and you saw it on paper, it looked really successful. Great money traveling trips, mm-hmm. sporting events, dating pretty girls, nice car, you know, money in the bank. But like there is a successful void of like this deep inner purpose connection fulfillment. So um, I had this experience. So around the same time, I was really like, I, I took a moment where I'm like, okay, I'm going to look at, you know, I'm way over type A grind, goal setting. Yada. I'm like, I'm going to go look in the other world, kind of the woo, I call it the woo. The woo woo. The yeah. woo right? Yeah. And so I start getting into yoga. I start getting into meditation and I'm kind of seeing this. It's this really like shocking, like, Oh, this is really nice. And around this time kind of fell into my lap, but a lot of research along the lines of psychedelic medicine came into my lap, which was at the time when I first read about psychedelic medicine, I remember my jaw was on the floor because growing up in a Christian conservative home, 
you're taught that every drug is meth. And if you do it one time, you'll be addicted and be a homeless man and go to a psych ward and you'll die. <laughs> Nothing yeah. like extremism to, to keep you straight, right? So, I mean, can right. you explain just, just for people who do not understand what that is, can you just kind of give like the, the baseline version explanation? Yeah, so there's this big blanket of drugs we put this blanket on everything. And there's actually a lot of different categories. So it's like, you know, there's amphetamines, which are really I, are dangerous and can harm your body. Opioids, you know, that's like your heroin, pain pills. That stuff is very addictive and dangerous as well. But there's this other class of psychedelic drugs, which are actually really good for your mind. And they're non-addictive. And a lot of them are naturally plant-based. So like, you have right. psilocybin mushrooms. Yep. Um, you have LSD, which is synthetic. LSD... Uh, DMT, dimethyltryptyline is a very natural occurring drug that's found in like ayahuasca tea. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and some people classify MDMA as a psychedelic. It's kind of not, but it's also, but that was used in therapy um, in the sixties before it it was illegal. But I remember reading this stuff and reading these incredible benefits from them. And I'd never heard of like benefits from drugs before. And as I did more research, I came across a lot of quotes from really prominent thought leaders and business leaders of the, their therapeutic benefits of doing psychedelics. I remember reading a quote from Steve Jobs, you know, who's like this icon, like this icon, right. You know, he changed, he literally changed the world. And he said, you know, doing LSD was one of the most profound experiences of my life. That's a, that's a bold statement. That's a pretty bold statement. Yeah, it's huge. Because in my head, the, the, the idea I'm trying to think, like, you know, the connection I'm trying to make is like, if the, you know, a, a founder of a company got caught up in like a cocaine scandal, that's front page news, <laughs> their stock drops, he's fired. Yeah, exactly. But Steve Jobs is attributing breakthroughs through psychedelics. And I'm like, there's, I'm like, there's something here. Like, this is, yeah, there's something going on here that I'm mm-hmm. unaware of. And so coincidentally, Right as I'm like in the thick of this, I get offered MDMA at a party in a recreational setting. You know, it wasn't a therapeutic setting. And, but I remember, you know, up, up to that point in my life, 99 out of 100 times, I'm saying no. Like, no, I'm not going here. It's not my thing. But I felt like this calling in my soul where it's like, you need to try this. And so very long story short, and, the, and I share the whole story in my book because there's so many weird twists and turns and synchronicities and connections where it's felt, I felt like I was in a movie yeah. after this moment, but I take this MDMA pill and I had a, I had a very non MDMA like experience, but basically I had like this come to Jesus moment. My whole world blew open. Like my concepts of reality shattered. I felt yeah. like this deep connection to source and spirituality and like it connected a lot of dots and I was able to get insights on previous thought patterns of my life of being the fat kid and right. not being enough. And like literally my entire life changed after this moment. Like it's, you know, people talk about, can your life change in, in a single day? And it was one of those moments where it was like in one night, the path of my life completely changed and wow. I've never been the same since. And right. what this night really did was, is that it opened up my mind to the possibility of really exploring working deeper with psychedelics. It was like, okay, there's something here. This is really beneficial. And that experience really ultimately led me 
to do deeper plant medicine work with therapy, therapy or therapists working with ayahuasca and psilocybin mushrooms, where I was able to really get insights on childhood trauma, deal with the death of my father, deal with the grief of leaving a religion. Um, and I was able to really get into my subconscious and heal a lot of that. that nice. Trauma. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're seeing, I mean, I guess in kind of the quote unquote mainstream of things, um, you're seeing that kind of mentality come up in like the RTT therapies where they go right for your, right for your subconscious, right. Versus these other things that have been around for, I don't know, a million years. Right. And the culture that they're based in, I would, I would assume that they've been around for a really long time. So it's about damn time that, you know, people know a little bit more about, about those. Cause you're right. They're rooted in these beliefs are in your subconscious and there's only certain ways you can access them. Correct. Yeah, and I mean, it's like, and, and, and to that note, it's like, you don't need to do psychedelics, but basically in, in the right sense setting, it's the equivalent in my experience. It's like, you can do 20 years of therapy or you can do one night of ayahuasca. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And yeah there's this stigma around the psychedelic space that's, you know, it's big and it's scary and there's definitely risk. And it's like, it's definitely not for everyone. And it is extremely intense. And, but in the right set and setting in the right intentions, you can do years of healing and trauma work. And it's, it's beautiful, beautiful medicine. Right. No, I, I, I absolutely love the fact that we're having this conversation because again, like you're right. You could do 20 years of, of therapy and that is completely an acceptable choice. But to think that one, number one, that is not going to be painful and complicated and probably a hell of a lot harder on some levels, just on different levels versus what you're describing. And again, we're going to caveat this. We're not doctors. We're not any of that stuff. Right. But at the same time, like, if it is a kind of straight line to your subconscious, that to me logically makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. And I would say to this in, in regards to that, where it's like, I don't recommend people to go work with psychedelics for two reasons. One, um, I don't know what's in your closet. Well, right. Exactly. Exactly. I don't know what shit is buried deep down in there. Mm-hmm. It is like that one thing that happened that we don't talk about. Right. right. Yep. Like coming up. Yeah. And are prepared to deal with that. And secondly, <laughs> is weird and woo woo is this sounds if you are called to work with the plant medicine ceremonies like the plants will come and get you as yeah. crazy as that sounds like there's an intelligence there's a plant intelligence and people that work with them feel really deeply called and so unless you feel the call i wouldn't go there because i've seen it go the other way yeah where it, where it's, it hasn't gone very well for some people and so you know, if you feel called to the plant medicine space and you have access to the right facilitator in the right setting, you know, with the right intentions of doing the work, it can be, you know, life-changing. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, but it's to be taken seriously and it's to be looked at as if like you have, you do have the potential of opening Pandora's box. So you really need to think long and hard. And I love the fact that you're saying that it, that it is more of a calling, right? Because the calling feeling, I think you and I both know kind of what that is. And if people have never experienced that, um, or you're wondering, have I experienced that? Then you probably haven't experienced it. You don't know what we're talking about. You haven't had that yet. Yes, exactly. Yet, which I think is completely possible for you to have it. Um, you know, and I, and I love your story because you've got the religion kind of, you know, woven into the spiritual awakening. Um, there must have been some sort of a reckoning between those two, I'm assuming, directly, right? Between Mormonism and that. 
So in Mormonism, you know, you are taught when you are a kid, you know, all of the hard questions are already answered for you, meaning this is what you were doing before you were on earth. This is the purpose of your life. And if you're obedient and obey God's will, you can enter the highest, you know, Mormonism, there's three heavens, your levels and the highest level kingdom of heaven is where, you know, you can live in a state of bliss ecstasy for eternity with your loved ones. And so it's like, if you obey the rules, then you get rewarded to this highest kingdom of heaven. And so the tricky part with that um, is what I wasn't prepared for um, is these are so ingrained in your being. Um, yeah. And I don't want to use the word brainwashed because I don't feel like I was brainwashed, but it was like, it's, it's, it's just part of your identity. So when I had this experience, you know, and I, and I did eventually remove my records from the Mormon faith. I'm no longer quote unquote a Mormon, but I was claiming it's my heritage, but like a piece I wasn't prepared for was when you do kind of leave organized religion, those questions of where was I before I was born? What's the purpose of life? Where do I go after I die? That's then stripped. Yeah. And it leaves you, I, I left me deeply raw and exposed and I'll never forget, I remember being out on my patio at my place where I live. And it was a summer night and I looked up at the night sky and you could see all the stars. And I remember looking up at the sky and I'm being like, what in the hell is going on? Yeah. Like, yeah. how, like, why am I on earth? Why do I have a body? Like, what, how does, how did this all happen? And it was scary. It was yeah. like really deep, scary existential crisis of like, this makes no sense. Right. Right. And I think the thing is too, it's interesting. If you look at the timeline and I, I only know this cause I have little kids that like right around the ages of like five is when they actually start asking you all those large questions. Um, so if my automatic answer was something as, as I was brought up extremely Catholic as well, and there were answers, right. It was a checkbox, um, that you were essentially given. And I, and I, I really do love how you said it's, it's, you know, it's definitely part of you. You don't just wipe it from existence. Um, but the kids at that age are asking all those questions, um, which then in turn makes us ask all those questions, which then gives us both a mental breakdown over here. But, you know, it's, it's something really to be said about reexamining those questions, whether you have been given answers or not. So even if you are a practicing whatever your religion may be, I don't think there's any fault in, in questioning that every now and again. You should question. So I remember, yeah. like, you know, where I live, I have this patio and it overlooks and where I live, it's like right below the building. In the building I live, there's restaurants and bars and it's like kind of like a cool weekend hot, hot spot. And I remember yeah. that night I looked at the stars and I looked down and I just saw people just walking and they're on a date or they're walking their dog or they're at the restaurant on the patio. And I remember thinking like, how come no one questions this? Like everyone's just kind of just wake up, you know, go yeah. to work party drink like how come no one's really questioning what we're actually doing on this planet like this has been so engraved and so it kind of caused me it kind of sparked this deep curiosity and the first place I looked for answers is I turned to the science books yeah makes sense and so I'm like okay because I remember thinking like okay how did this moment in front of me how did it get here like it started somewhere how did it get here and it actually caused a deeper existential crisis in me when I learned that like there's like 500 billion planets in our galaxy. 
or no, excuse me, 300 million, 300 million planets in our galaxy. And you've discovered up to 2 trillion galaxies. And I'm like, wait, what? What? It hurts your brain when you really start to think about it. You can't, you can't think about it. And so, but I had to go through this deeper existential crisis to come out where I eventually had this moment where I realized, you know, I was studying astrophysics and astronomy and science and matter. And then it was just so complex and so beyond comprehension that it almost was relieving where it's like, oh, this is so insane that no one knows what's going on. Right. It's comforting knowing that you're not the only one. Like there isn't some secret behind a locked door that that you're missing out on because it is, it's mind blowing and you could spend your entire life chasing it and never really fully understand it. Right. And so that's what it's, it's interesting because I kind of sparked the title of my book where it's like, you take this cosmic perspective. We are literally a, if, if the world blew up tomorrow, an asteroid hits earth tomorrow, every piece of music, every piece of art, every thought, every person who's ever existed, every memory from humanity, poof, gone forever. Right. And it wouldn't make a scratch right. in, the, in the universe. Like yeah. no one even, it wouldn't, it's so minuscule. It wouldn't even know. And when I zoomed back into my life, And I was thinking about who I am and it's like, wow, it's like, I have this incredible human life where I have, can meet really cool people. I'm like, just think about what we're doing right now. I'm going to, I have my computer, you you have your computer, we're via internet, we're seeing each other, we're talking to each other, we're talking about our stories. We can eat good food and play music and meet people and make businesses and be outside. And we have all these incredible gifts and connections and this really fun experience. And it really was like, holy shit, we're alive. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, this is so cool to be alive. And everything that we've found in science out in the universe of all the planets, like there's, here. No, there's nothing going on out there. Right. There's right. nothing. There's, it's just black, empty space. And we get really, really excited in science if we find a planet that might have a building block that might be related to some sort of life. And that's a really big deal. Right. Like, look at this we dropped into the most crazy, beautiful, exciting planet there we've ever discovered. And we have access to all of these incredible gifts and people. It was like, holy shit, like we're alive. This is so exciting. Right. It was actually relieving. Yeah. I mean, and also it reminds you that, I mean, it's a two, it's a, it's both sides of a coin, right? It's kind of the dizziness of freedom. Like if you're familiar with that, where like all of a sudden I have a choice and like, oh my God, all of a sudden I have a choice, <laughs> like, you know, kind of that, that fear on one side, but then the other one, cause I could see how somebody could go down the rabbit hole like you did with science and then get so overwhelmed at how minuscule we are in this big place that they shut down versus what you're saying that you looked at it like, and you flipped it on its head and said, no, 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 how lucky we are. But also simultaneously, we're part of a larger being or a larger system of sorts. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I think the combination between, you know, I've had a couple experiences and I, I'm not saying that my experiences with psychedelics are capital T true. And I'm right. very open to the idea that I had a weird synapsis connection neuro in my neurobiology that made me believe that I was looking at realms of other dimensions. I don't know. Like, I have no freaking clue. But, you know, you combine these connections of feeling the oneness, the consciousness, the universal consciousness is all humanity with the combination of science. And it really, it took a lot of the pressure off of my life of like having to figure it out. Yeah. 
like, cool. And I, and I really embodied, you know, I love Alan Watts. He's a deep philosopher. And he always says the purpose of life is life. Right. To live it ongoing. <laughs> okay. I'm alive. I'm here. I'm going to die one day. Like everyone listening to this is going to die. You're going to die. I'm going to die. We're all going to die. We don't know when, hopefully it's not for a while. But it's like, I'm Doug is going to die. It's like, how can I maximize my human experience until my death? Right. You know, because there's no, there is no winner. Like no one has won life. There is no finish line. There's no pedestal. So it's like, right. there's, no, there's no winning in this game. How can I just have the most experiences and do the coolest things and do the most things and meet the coolest people and write books and do whatever? Cause it's like, right. no one's here alive. Which I think what you're stating here is why a lot of people do get into entrepreneurship yeah. because of exactly like wanting that, that autonomy, wanting that choice. Um, you know, I feel like there's, there's a very kind of phased approach. Like you just described, like you, you are driven by these external things or the need to fill the void. And then you kind of have this wake up and then your entire life gets kind of shaken like a snow globe. And then it settles back down and you realize, wait, and you remember you have a choice as you go forward. And I'm not saying negate life contracts or like mortgages and all that stuff. That's not what I'm saying. However, you do have a choice in how you show up to those things. Um, and in how to architect, like you said, this one life and how to maximize it. Right. Yeah. And, I, and to your point too, it doesn't mean quit doing what you're doing. Right. 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 It's 2021 right now. And this experience where all of my paradigm changed happened in 2017. Mm-hmm. And I had a two and a half year period of transitioning out of my old job to start my new business. Right. right. It wasn't like, okay, I'm moving to a cutting, cutting everything off and moving to a cave. And right. I was like, right. okay, I want to make new choices and I'm going to start moving in that direction one step at a time. And right. I you know there was times where I was really impatient. There was times where I was still working in my old company, right? Just, it was miserable. I hated it because it didn't fulfill me, but it's like, it's paying the bills right now. So I have to kind of, continue yeah. that until actually I was able to fully transition over. And that took two and a half years, yeah. but you got to start somewhere. Yeah. And I think like you said, I like, I like the fact that you're bringing up like the two and a half year transition, because I feel like people also tout the like leap and hope for the best kind of mentality, whereas not everybody or leap in the net will appear. You know, I do believe in the universe providing all of that kind of stuff, but there are people who are not comfortable with that. And I feel like that is okay as long as you're consistently taking a step forward to better your life, whatever that looks like, and you're the one defining it, correct? Yeah, totally. And I think it, w- it wasn't necessarily that I wanted to go be an entrepreneur to be an entrepreneur. Right. It was more of like, okay, how do I maximize my human experience and live the lifestyle I want to live? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I need, it wasn't a dollar. It wasn't set to a dollar amount. It wasn't like, okay, I need to make $20 million. It was okay. How do I live the life I want to live and I can slowly incorporate those changes into my daily life and then compounding on top of that. It was a very slow transition. Right. Right. My mind, my mindset beliefs, my, my constructs of reality changed overnight. Like I always tell people my paradigms of reality were blown into confetti and one night, but the actual physical manifestation of that was a very slow process making right changes here and there and compounding those decisions over time. So I was focused on the lifestyle I wanted to live yes. rather than how much money can I make. 
Yes, which is very different for you and I living here in the in the wonderful United States of America, um, which, you know, it is the land of opportunity. And I and I applaud that on a lot of levels. However, I think over the years, I've decided that success is a personalized definition, like you have to you have to really sit down and say, okay, what what does it look like to be successful to your point, and architect the life that you want, and then fit the pieces into that versus this like very linear, you know, get a college degree, get the job, get the kids, get like, you know, down the line when so many people's lives look so different from that. And that's okay too. (laughs) And I think, I mean, for me, success is being in, being content with where I'm at. And content doesn't mean lazy. No. I love where I'm at. I'm not at war with myself anymore. Exactly. That is a perfect way to say it. Not at war with yourself anymore. Cause we all know what that feels like in our heads. Yeah. I'm not at war with myself anymore. And so it's like every day is the gift. Like be just be in my, you know, my cosmic perspective, just being human is the ultimate gift. Right. The fact that we got dropped on this incredible planet, you know, and we have the opportunity to create a business or be a stay at home mom, if that's your thing, or be a school teacher or whatever it is. Like that's, that's truly the gift. And, the, and, and you know, I'm grateful. And, you know, cause it's always funny. People are always like, well, Money doesn't make you happy, but it's people are like, let me make that decision. Let me figure that out on my yeah. own. I want to make the money to figure that out. And it's like money can increase your happiness and create, create freedom. Right. But there's this whatever this deeper intuitive moment. It's like if we don't want the money, we want the feeling we think money exactly. Exactly. It's that void, like you said before. It's the happy when. You know, it's the it's the Band-Aid on top of a, a gaping wound that needs stitches or that needs an operation, right? I mean, it's exactly the reason why you see lottery winners blow through their cash and they're back to poor. You know, it's those limiting beliefs that are rooted there that are going to get in your way regardless of how much money you make. You're still going to be the same person just with a bank account with a higher number, but you're still the same being. <laughs> essentially. Asked, what I always ask people, like, what, what problem do you think more money will solve emotionally. What emotion do you think that'll bring into your life? Right. So people are usually like, oh, freedom or whatever. I'm like, okay, then so seek more freedom in your life. You exactly. Freedom in your life without making $10 million. Right. So right. Seek the emotion you want rather than the thing. Yes. Yes. I mean, that is that right there. Seek the emotion you want rather than the thing, because the thing you're just trying to evoke the emotion. Like you said earlier, it's an instant hit. And therefore there becomes the addiction to it, right? The addiction to kind of that adrenaline hit that comes, um, which does not last. So talk to me about how all of this amazing stuff kind of transitioned into the platform and the app and all of that stuff that you have, because I was checking it out and it looks pretty cool and I want people to know about it. Yeah. So the app, the app is interesting because when I first started my business, I thought I was building an app business. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, the app is just a small piece of my business now, right? It just kind of got me. So um, there was this moment where I was very type A, very like grind grit, you know, mm-hmm. up, you know, sleep for four hours and, you know, hustle, sleep is for babies type of thing. So I'd start to incorporate all of these mindfulness, which was really out of my comfort zone at the time. Yeah. But I really started incorporating all of these mindfulness techniques, meditation and journaling and actually sleeping eight hours and doing things just for fun. And like really incorporating a lot of these, you know, a lot of yoga. And 
So I really bought into it and I was doing a lot of different journals. So I bought like, the five minute journal, the miracle morning and yep. high performance habits. And you mm-hmm. know, so I had like, this, you know, plethora of journals in my desk and I'd fill them out every morning and slide that one over and do the next one. And I'm like, oh, I need to incorporate the best of all of them. And I'm like, I just need to create my own journal. So I created my own journal at first. It was kind of like the best of everything that I had worked with that I felt was the most effective for me. Um, and I remember one night I was asleep and I woke up and I literally leaned up and I'm like, oh, I need to build an app. And so I didn't, I've never built an app before. I didn't know. I'm not a tech guy at all. And I remember thinking like, I just need to build this app. And so I reached out through my networks and I'm like, does anyone know how to build an app or anything, you know, development company? And I got connected to a buddy of, uh, buddy now, I didn't know at the time, his name's JD. And we, he's like, hey, come into my office. He owned an app development company. And we just did a strategy session and I kind of broke it all down for him. And he was like, this is a really good idea. Yeah, and good. so I just remember feeling like I needed to do it. And at this time, I was still transitioning out of my job. I kind of blown through a lot of my money. I wasn't performing at the level I used to be. So I started going into debt, putting it all of it on my credit card. I remember I just needed to do it. And so, you know, over the next couple of months, we created this beta version of the app. You know, I found a designer, we got it moving. I had kind of a working app. Um, And it's very, it's very simple tasks or shifts to do every day to kind of help you get back in alignment. So there's breath work, there's meditations, there's goal settings, there's gratitude lists, and it's very quick and easy and efficient. Nice. And making, and everyone that was using it was loving it. And I was loving it. And it's a, you know, I'm kind of tying this into a cool entrepreneur story, but um, there was a point in my career where I needed 40 grand to finish the development design and distribution of the app. And I had like $6,000 to my name. And for whatever reason, I didn't stress. I didn't worry. Um, I knew I was on my path. Like I just felt it. Um, I didn't know where the cash was coming from, but I just, I stayed committed to the higher path um, because I knew I was creating a product that would improve the quality of lives for other people. Yeah. And I'll never forget. There was this day I was meditating and I meditate with a blindfold on, which is kind of weird, but like, (laughs) I like it. Yeah. It allows me to tune out the outside world. And I remember I I sit down to meditate and like within two minutes of meditating, I have this really strong urge to go back down to my old place of work. Um, and so I kind of pushed it off. I'm like, okay, when I'm done meditating, I'll go down there. I had no reason to, but it was like this another strong urge. Like, no, you need to go down there right now. So I take off my blindfold. I drive 40 minutes to an old place of work, thinking I might run into a friend to go to lunch or whatnot. And so I walk yeah. into the building and I see my three like biggest mentors, <laughs> my company, all in a room together. And they kind of wave me in and they're like, hey, we haven't seen you in a while. What have you been up to? And I'm like, yeah, I'm building this app. And I was able to show them a beta version of the app, which is really big because it showed to them yeah. like I was committed to it. I had a working, like semi-working piece. And one of them out of the blue was like, hey, you know, this is amazing. How much would you sell your whole company for? And no one's ever said that to me before. I'm like, I don't know. I just threw out a number. I'm like, two million bucks. And they're like, would you let us three buy in 15% you know, at that valuation? And I was like, oh, shit, yeah. I guess, yeah. <laughs> so within 48 hours, I got a multiple six-figure investment. 
Holy shit. To finish the app, start my online course, start my website, do my blog, hire coaching, right? Get into my coaching business. And it kickstarted my whole business. And it's, wow. it's a really cool story. And as I look back at it, it was like takeaway here was I had a beta version of the app. Meaning if I walked into that meeting and I just told them, hey, I have an idea for an app. No, it wouldn't have worked. I wouldn't have gotten investment. But because I was committed to show them that I had skin in the game and I was responding to the universe, is nudges, I was rewarded for it. And so I think the lesson is like the universe responds to effort. Yes. So even though I didn't know the path, I didn't know how things were going to go out. A lot of us wait to feel like we have to have everything figured out before we commit. I didn't know what the hell was going on. But because I right. took the next step and I jumped, you know, I was rewarded handsomely. And now that investment really kickstarted this whole brand, not just an app, but a whole brand of, you know, personal development, you know, based in a mindful, in a mindful setting. And so I'm grateful for that. And I think just, you know, the, the takeaway here is you got to move, you get movement yeah. is life. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's essentially what you just described is the part that people forget about in the law of attraction. <laughs> right? Is that you have to do the movement along with that as well. You have to put it out there, but then you have to start moving in that manner as well. So is this what we're all going to learn from your book? I hope. (laughs) There's so much. I've given you guys just very, very little, little secrets into the book. The book is way more stories like this. And a lot of my takeaways from my entrepreneur uh, roller coaster, my psychedelics, connections, my dealing with trauma. And a lot of a big piece I never talked about is, you know, especially for men, heartbreak. I went through a really devastating heartbreak and felt like I had to suppress and man up and be tough and not deal with those emotions. And I talked a lot about that as well. And so it's the psychedelic spark spiritual journey of an ex Mormon millionaire. (laughs) I mean, that couldn't be the title. (laughs) That's pretty awesome. Although I love the title. So can you tell people as we wrap up where they can come find you, where they can find the daily shifts, all of that amazing stuff? Yeah. So you can pre-order my book on my website on the daily shifts. Um, and hopefully if you're listening to this by July, mid-July, it should be on Amazon. You can pre-order it on Amazon. Holy shit, we're live. Doug Cartwright on Amazon. Um, and the book is live August 10th. And you can find me on Instagram at Doug underscore Cartwright. And I answer all of my DMs. So if you have a question or whatnot, send me a DM and I'll probably send you a voice note back. Um, but I would love to stay connected. And I think this book is it really, I don't, I feel like this book was channeled through mm-hmm. me. It yeah. feels like inspired work and I'm really, really proud of it. So no, I can't, I can't wait to read it myself. So I think you just bring such a unique um, way of looking at the world and the way that you're explaining it and your entire journey. So, you know, guys, I will drop all of this in the show notes as well for you. And Doug, thank you so much for talking with me today. Of course. Thank you, Michelle. So where do I really begin to sum up this episode? You know, there were just so many good points throughout it. And I love a good deep conversation. For those of you who have listened to the podcast, you know that. And, you know, when I got off our original conversation, my mind was kind of spinning and, you know, I was thinking of all these things and, you know, existential questions and just so much good stuff. And then, you know, I usually record these, these kind of recaps after I edit and I re-listened to the episode and again, more questions and more thoughts that were sparked. And I would be lying 
if I said I had, as I said, I was taking credit for the the title of the show, which I'm not, because obviously you heard Doug say it and it was just a perfect fit for, you know, his incredible journey. So I just think you guys should follow him and buy his book when it comes out in August. And on next week's episode, I am joined by the wonderful Marissa Finelli, and we are speaking all about the piece that people forget about when it comes to the law of attraction and, you know, setting intentions and using energy in business and all that good stuff. Because oftentimes we think just because we, you know, will it to happen, it'll happen. And sometimes we're missing the action step. So that's what we are getting into a lot of detail on for next week's episode. And we're getting closer, so close to 100 episodes. So please make sure you're following us and taking advantage of all the good content and the freebies and all of the good stuff. And as always, if you love this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, download, rate, and review. And you know, Tell a friend, because who couldn't use a little more resilience in their life, right? See you later.